Hello there and welcome to another Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. Hope you're well after what has been one of those weeks, hasn't it? A bit underwhelming, a bit disappointing, a 1-1 draw at Old Trafford and then a nil-nil draw with, with Sunderland, which... Which I guess is part of our makeup, you know, we're we're nice people. That's a problem with Arsenal. Too nice. What other team in the world would go out of its way to make really average goalkeepers look good? We do. Collectively, we said, Hey, look at this Costel Pantilamon guy. Look at him. Freakishly tall. Probably got no real friends. You know what we'll do? We'll make him look good in a game by shooting everything straight at him. And that way, people will say, hey, that guy is actually quite good. We should we should sign him and, and give him more money than he's already got. How many goalkeepers down the years have made a fortune out of Arsenal's niceness? I'm kind of sick of it, I have to say. But we'll touch on the week that was uh, throughout this podcast. We'll give you the winner of our competition from last week. The very simple-to-enter competition, of course. So there were many entries, but we will pick one who will get a signed copy of the book together, The Story of Arsenal's Unbeaten Season. I nearly forgot the name of it again, right there. I should I should do my homework before we start. And of course, this is the final weekend of the Premier League season. It looks as if we're going to finish third. It would take quite the turnaround for, for that not to happen. We'd have to not get something from the uh, West Brom game and also Manchester United to beat Hull by a considerable amount to overdo the goal difference thing. And look, nothing is impossible in football, but it kind of looks like we've got third. Uh, Sunderland are now safe, so it's between Newcastle and Hull as to who goes down. Hull playing Manchester United at home and Newcastle are at home to West Ham. So you kind of fancy that it's going to be Hull that's going to go down. But imagine if Hull beat Man United and Newcastle lose to uh, to West Ham, Newcastle could go down. I know we spoke about this on the Arsecast Extra, and, uh, you know, that would be my preference, simply because it's always kind of funny when a big team goes down. No? Just me? I think it is. Remember when Leeds went down? That was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. But that, of course, has much to do with the fact that when I grew up as a kid in, in Yorkshire, I was a an Irish Arsenal fan in a Roman Catholic school just outside Hull, and pretty much everybody else was a Leeds fan. And I do remember this one guy, I know I've spoken about this before, but he used to do that thing. He was a big bully of a guy, but he used to do that thing where he like get thumb and uh, finger on, on either side of your neck, and he'd squeeze, and he'd make you say that, I love Leeds, and you're like, I don't want to say that, because I really don't. I hate Leeds, actually, as it happens. I, I really don't like Leeds, but then, you know, torture, as, as it probably could be classified, is designed to get people to say things they don't necessarily want to see. So to make the searing pain go away, you say, I love Leeds, and then you're sort of consumed with this this hatred throughout your entire life of an entire football club, all their fans, everything to do with them. So when Leeds went down, that was particularly hilarious for me. I don't know if that big fat bully is alive or dead. I don't care. I'm not going down the Facebook route of looking him up and seeing if he's like really, well, I'm, I'm, I know he's really, really ugly anyway. Uh, but even uglier now, but, you know, maybe his kids hate him and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't care. I'm over it, apart from the fact that I'm always up for a bit of, you know, things going completely and utterly wrong for Leeds. Hey, I'm a small, petty man, and I bear grudges. 
What can I tell you? Who else went down? Big teams that went down. Uh, Middlesbrough, they weren't really a big team, but they were in a couple of cup finals and still got relegated, I think. And uh, Manchester City, they went down relatively relatively recently. And then you just kind of have the, the yo-yo clubs, the ones that go up and down all the time. But Newcastle going down would be, would be pretty, pretty funny. I think. So uh, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for that. Um, So we'll touch on Arsenal's week um, as the show goes on with our guest, uh, who I'll introduce to you now in a few moments' time. But the other thing that caught my eye this week, apart from Louis van Gaal's quite amazing speech, which was really quite funny at the uh, the Manchester United postseason bash that they have, uh, he's, he's quite something. Van Hal, but there was a video taken just after the Arsenal game. Well, I don't know if it was just after the Arsenal game, but he was he was outside the ground, outside Old Trafford, and there were some fans there, and they were singing a song about him, and they were getting him to sign autographs. And I don't know if you've heard the clip, but but this is how it went down. Come on, Louis, can we have one from you? Louis Van Gaal's Red Army. Louis Van Gaal's Red Army! Yeah! Um, yeah so uh, I put this up on Twitter, and it was at God AFC number 10 who came back immediately and said that it reminded him of the scene in Young Frankenstein, where they're singing Putting on the Ritz, which goes a bit like this. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat, perfect fits. Um, but something Andrew Allen said to me um, just it kind of struck a chord with me. I, you know, sent it to Andrew, and he he replied back saying it reminded him. And I was thinking, oh yeah, he's right. He's absolutely right. So what you do? I've had to sort of fiddle around with this a little bit. So here here's the original. And just one more time so we know. Then what you need to do is you need to just kind of uh, adjust the pitch slightly. So bring the pitch of it down. Then what you need to do is you need to slow it down. So adjust the tempo like this. Then you've got to add a little bit of um, bit of reverb and my old favorite flange. Can't do without a bit of flange from time to time. So this is what you get. And then, when you reverse it, you get this. So finally, what you do then is you've got to layer all those sounds together, add a little bit of compression, and hey presto. There you have it. Chewy Van Hal. I know. It's fucking mind-blowing, right? Hard to get your head around this one. Anyway, we are heading to the final league game of the season. We'll preview that a little bit later on in the show, as well as giving you the result of the competition, uh, amongst other things. But now, for the final time this season, I'm delighted to welcome back our old friend, Philippe Auclair. Hello, Andrew. That was very serious. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm in a serious mood today. Okay, all right. Well, well, I'll make sure we, we have a serious discussion then. Let's start. 
<laughs> Let's start with Sunderland. End of. End of. That's it. It's finished. Um, Sunderland on Wednesday night. Uh, people will focus on the chances, and we'll come to that in a while. But mm. what struck me was something that has been a bugbear of both of ours over the last number of seasons in that Arsenal, when they moved the ball, moved it in a very leisurely fashion yeah. and without the the panache, without the zip that, that creates the kind of openings that you need against a, a team that are playing the way Sunderland did. Mm, and it's something which we've already seen against uh, Swansea, for example. Mm. Um, and um, which, is, which is worrying. Part of it might be due to fatigue. Uh, I'm probably not the only person to be a bit surprised to see... Uh, um, which I've seen Wenger, you know, field the same team six games in succession, and in fact, the one against Sunderland was not very different from that, the one which played against Swansea. Mm. And it's quite clear that some of those players are running; the tank is is running low. Basically, Do you think there it's is a, a physical fatigue or mental fatigue? Because I we're think not... a bit of both. Because you know, now the the objective. I think it's a weird moment because the objective of finishing in the top three has been achieved, albeit uh, in a. Uh, in a rather bum squeaky way, <laughs> um, and now I think that many of them have already got an eye on the FA Cup final, thinking I don't want to do anything stupid. I don't want to burn myself too much. I mean, this, which is quite logical, uh, by the way. Villa were exactly the same in, in their last um, uh, league game, yeah. so I can understand that. But um, what is more worrying is the fact that it's a team that, um, when it reacts, um, is quite superb. But it takes uh, something special to sting them into action. And um, we remember what happened against Monaco after the first eight minutes. Um, a certain lethargy um, sets in. And we've seen that many times, actually, this season. Suddenly, ooh, something happens, and then they react, and they spring into life, and then they're convincing again. Mm. Um, Did you see anything against Sunderland that might suggest that they might spring into life against West Brom? <laughs> uh, chances, chances, chances. I think he's going to refresh the team anyway. Um, mm. I mean, I, I, it would be really silly not to. Um, third place is all but assured. I think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't looked at the goal difference, but uh, I think, I it's, think plus it is, seven. it's plus seven. Well, I think it would take something quite extraordinary for this uh, goal difference to be reversed uh, uh, by Man- Manchester United at Hurl in this in particular. Um, so I, I would imagine he's going to, um, to pick, I wouldn't say a B side, but he's going to rest a few players. Players like Olivier Giroud, for example, who's looked uh, really, really tired recently. Um, and um, no, I, I, I haven't seen anything against Sunderland that made me feel particularly uh, optimistic. And I have to say, I see the 30th of May approaching with a certain dose of apprehension. Mm. It is, it I is don't think I'm the only one. I think no. maybe I'm trying the old double hex here. But uh, <laughs> uh, objectively speaking, there, there are um, there are deficiencies which have which have appeared uh, in that team over the last few weeks. Uh, it, they were already also apparent against Manchester United. I mean, again. Same thing. Um, how long did it take the team to wake up and, and to find it and to put together 20 exit minutes at the end? Yeah. Um, but be, before that, it was not very reassuring at all. Mm. It is a, a trait sometimes of Arsene Wenger's team that when when they're on a, a good run and when something happens to knock them off, that it takes them a little bit of time to to recover to to find their rhythm again uh, and he's spoken many times hasn't he about how confidence and belief is the is the easiest thing to lose and the most difficult thing to build up again um, yeah. Ha- yeah, I'm sorry you used the word rhythm and I think that's, that is the word 
That is exactly the word that you have to use when uh, you talk about Arsenal. Perhaps of all the teams at the top of the English game or at the top of European game, it's the one which relies the most on a certain kind of tempo to get going. Mm. And you can feel, and I think every single Arsenal fan, or actually Arsenal observer who's, been, who's seen them in action, when you're there in the stand, after five or six minutes of a game, you have a fairly good idea of how the game is going to pan out. Just because of the, the pace at which the ball is transmitted, the angle to, at which the, pay, the, the, the ball is transmitted, of course, but especially the pace. When Arsenal is, is well, is good, uh, they, they move it extremely quickly. And I mean, the, the pace of the passes is, is, is very high. And then you have what you had against Sunderland, even at the end when it was the Alamo and there, were, there was chance after chance after chance, the, um, the passing was quite slow, pedestrian, mm. and very lateral as well. Yeah. And they still created chances, didn't take them, Pantaliman was excellent, etc., etc., etc. But um, it is a team which is, um, has got its, its an extraordinary moody uh, kind of team. Yes. <laughs> Perhaps it, because it relies on, on, on rhythm and tempo to, to create chances, as opposed to, for example, a team like Chelsea, which will rely on um, defensive uh, organization, fast counter-attacking, you know exactly tactically how they're going to set up. You could say the same thing uh, with Manchester City, or even uh, with Manchester United now, which are teams which play to a system. Uh, Arsenal do have a system of sorts, but it's not what pushes them forward. Mm. And what the energy, what provides them with energy and drive, for some strange reason, goes missing. And it does at moments when you don't expect it. That's it. You, you think this is a team that, that can't score a goal and actually hasn't scored many goals recently. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, um, one of the complaints, obviously, against Sunderland was the fact that 20, Arsenal had 28 shots. Yeah. And, and the finishing, uh, when they did get into reasonable positions, um, just wasn't good enough. So does it suggest that this is a symptom of the lethargy, the tiredness of the team that you refer to? Or is it, is it more evidence um, for people who would say that Arsenal need to improve their striking options? Would this mythical world-class striker have made the difference between one point and three points last night? Yes, perhaps there is. Well, okay, who is that then? I don't um, know. That's you know. Yeah. Okay. I know. It's it's like you've got the uh, the unknown soldier. You've got the unknown striker. <laughs> um, no, I think it's a bit of both. I think when when you <clears throat> start to draw too much on your physical reserves, you do <clears throat> excuse me lose. Uh, a bit of sharpness, and which is absolutely essential, of course, in front of goal. So there's that, uh, because I, you know, I don't think anybody would say that, for example, Alexis is somebody who is not a good finisher. He's a fantastic finisher. Uh, even he was, you know, he's he's tired, poor thing, and he has every right to be tired. He's been playing nonstop for I don't know how many years now. Mm. Uh, he's had, hardly had a holiday. Um, Giroud is the same thing. Is very tired again, and also because of the kind of role he has when he's very much the lone man, and he's got to do so much work which actually goes unnoticed most of the time. Um, but it's also, yes, they're, obviously, they're perhaps the accent on, on finishing. One thing that um, I, I remember, do you remember Wenger talking about, I think it was a Santi Cazola goal, when Cazola actually passed the ball into the net, and, and Wenger was was full of joy, said, well, that's what I'm trying to explain to them. You don't have to blast it. You can place it. I remember very clearly that. I was thinking, well, why don't they do it week after week then, Arsene? Why, why is that? that <laughs> why, why, what is it that you cannot quite transmit to them? Yeah. Um, 
Suddenly, I think the reluctance to shoot from distance has gone. You know, if you look at the stats, that's gone. But that's not really the problem. The problem is more, yeah, a certain sharpness in the box, uh, uh, a willingness and a a capacity to to transform chances into goals. And, of course, our famous world-class striker, of whom nobody knows the name, uh, would be a wonderful addition. Um, I mean, who can it be? Um, Lewandowski? I mean, who? I well, look. I don't know. That's uh, that's something for the uh, for the people who like to speculate on transfers yes. to to that extent. But you know, perhaps there's uh, an issue as well with the fact we don't have Danny Welbeck available, who could easily have come in uh, uh, yes. for Giroud. And at a time when Giroud was lost a bit of form, it would have been good for for Welbeck to get another run at centre forward. That was uh, missing as well. And, and yes. maybe Theo Walcott, who you know obviously doesn't convince everybody and really isn't convincing the manager at the moment because he started Jack Wilshire on the right hand side of midfield ahead of Walcott. What did yes. you make of that decision? Does it does it tell us something about the way the manager feels about Theo Walcott at the moment? I, I certainly think so. Um, I, I think that he would have a point saying I need to give some um, match time to, to Jack Wilshire, who's had, I was going to say, he's had a, an awful season. He's had an awful few seasons. Mm. Um, and uh, th- that's quite understandable. On the other hand, the way that Walcott is, is used now as a kind of impact sub uh, in almost every single game when he's obviously fit. Um, to do that as well, um, you know. I mean, after he scored a very important goal, even if it was a fluky goal, or maybe the uh, dubious goals committee is going to say he didn't score it, which is probably the case. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> to sum it up, uh, yes, I think that it shows that not everything is um, is going right between um, the player and the manager. I, I'd be. I, w- I honestly wouldn't be surprised, and I know I'm, I'm falling to speculation that uh, the relationship with between Walcott and Arsenal um, didn't last much longer. Mm. It is an interesting one, obviously, because of his contract situation and 12 months, and um, you know the manager has said he wants to keep him, wants him to sign a new contract. Mm. But you know yeah. we, we've been down this road many, times, many times with players before. in the past, yes. where he says he wants to keep them. Uh, you know that's his aim. He's confident that they're going to stay, and then <laughs> all of a sudden uh, they're holding up a, a different coloured shirt. So um, we'll we'll wait and see what happens there. But in the current circumstances, do you see a place for Walcott on that right-hand side, given that when Ramsey plays there, and we saw it even when Wilshire played there, there's a tendency, because they're naturally central midfield players, to drift inwards, and Arsenal become way too compact. It's like almost a funnel heading towards the the penalty area instead of trying to stretch the play and and make space in, in a different way. Let's not forget the Ox. Um, of course, yeah. Whom I think should be option number one, but per personal opinion. But he's uh, not fit. So. He's not fit. That's that's very true. But he will be fit at some point. Let's hope so. Um, you know, you're quite right about the tendency of of of, of Ramsey to to go uh, and 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 of Wilshire to go back in. Uh, but I think what's been missing when I've seen the World Cup this season, admittedly, it hasn't been an awful lot, and not necessarily through his fault. Um, I've noticed that he was taking far uh, he was taking far fewer risks in the way he was passing the ball or attacking his opposite um I mean at the right back for example mm-hmm. or the left back and that is obviously something which mustn't mustn't have escaped uh, Wenger so it, which could be explained perhaps by lack of match fitness and and match play simply simple as that on the other hand I've I found him um slightly a, a bit coy almost when you, when you compare with the Walcott we knew before he got injured against Tottenham, 
um, who was really at that. It was at that point where you thought he's really bringing something to the table. Is is really sharp. His finishing is improving. Is uh, as quick as ever as he's ever been. I don't get the, this feeling anymore. I mean, perhaps it's just me, mm. but I don't I don't get the feeling of a player who is relaxing in in, in his you know uh, in his own style of play, who is using his main qualities. Which is pace and, and some decent technique. And by the way, he's not a bad finisher at all. He, he, he can, you know, he can be quite superb in front of goal. Mm. But he can also have these moments when he doesn't seem to be there completely um, on, the, on the pitch. I mean, and I, I wouldn't say it's the lack of football brain, like Chris Waddle said. It's perhaps a, a lack of. A, he seems to be alone. He seems to be playing his almost apart from the team. I found, it, I found him very frustrating. You can yeah. hear that in my voice. This but season, when I've seen him, I found him very, very frustrating. He, he is that kind of a player, though. I think he is. But he brings something different. Sure, that's no, I mean, I get that, and there's a, there's a finishing ability that he has, but I think you're right to say that he is sort of standing a little bit separate from the rest of the team in terms of his his technical ability and the way that um, he fits into Arsenal's system and that Arsenal have very technically good players, good passers of the ball who move around a lot. And Walcott mm. is somebody who can very often be on the periphery of a game uh, and then pop up and get you a goal or get you a, a couple of goals. So I do wonder if his style perhaps has, uh, has now got to a point where Arsene Wenger thinks, well, you know, I'd rather play somebody who can keep possession on the right-hand side than somebody who, who only mm. touches the ball eight times in a half um, like the, the the impact that Walcott has had has been perhaps made up through other players elsewhere and, yep. and that this is the thing and maybe Walcott's aware of that too yes and I, it's it's an uneasy relationship at the moment and you can see it you, you see a, a manager who is not at ease with this player given you know the way that he uses him You've got a player who is not at ease on the pitch, who is not playing at the full, you know, its full capacity. He's not getting the match time he, w- he would be hoping for. Uh, who is also entering the last year of his of his contract? I mean, this doesn't bode well, to be honest. Mm. The other thing I just wanted to touch on very briefly was when he did bring Wilshire in the other night. I thought it might be at the expense of Santi Cazorla, who yes. who I love. I love watching him. He's fantastic. But I just thought, given the game that that we were playing, that Cazorla might have been the one to sit out rather than Coquelin, um, who I, I guess in certain games and perhaps the one like Sunderland can get a little bit bypassed because his role isn't. It's not quite as necessary when you're attacking mm. all the time. Nevertheless, Cazorla's looked a little bit, a little bit um, off the pace in the, in the last couple of games. Yes, he's so, one of those who is who is finding that the season. A, a little bit too long for, yeah. for his take. So, I, mean, I, think. I think it's perhaps a case that the manager is is struggling to find the right balance in his midfield um, because Cazorla's performances there have been outstanding. Absolutely. And, and he's, he's uh, performed a lot better there than I think most people would ever have thought he could, uh, despite the fact everyone knows he's, he's such a, a technically gifted player. But if he did want to bring Wilshire back into the team, Surely, giving him the minutes in his favourite position, or moving, you know, bringing Ramsey into the centre of midfield, let the yeah. two of them work together, would have mm-hmm. been the better idea. Well, the thing you were talking about, the balance, and I think Wenger had found the balance a little bit um, tri- by trial and error, a little bit by actually quite a lot by chance. Mm. When suddenly, you know, Coquelin came back as all I started this new role as a kind of deep lying play- playmaker. Uh, Mesut Ozil was put in his natural position as a number 10 and, and suddenly things started to click and Arsenal had a wonderful series of results 
and he, which is one of the reasons, by the way, why he fielded you know the same team six times six times in a row in the league, which is you know never unheard of for for Wenger. Yeah. Um, and 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 it found this balance, and I think anything that you will change in this in this particular setup is going to affect it probably far more than it ought to, mm. uh, because. Um, if you look at the Kukla-Kazola relationship, the Kukla-Kazola Ozil relationship, it is not something. If you say, if you take one of those three out, and you replace him by Wilshire, a Ramsey, whatever, a Rosicky, um, uh, by the way, whom I would have liked to see more of, but yeah, that's a I different agree. matter. Um, you realize, oh, suddenly the relationships are not going to work the same way at all. And and there was a good dynamic was found, a good balance was found, and every time you're going to move it a bit, and I agree with you, I think how does Wilshire fit in this system? Normally, you would say yes, perhaps in uh, in Casola's place. That's right. So where do you put Santi? You put him back on the left? Well, perhaps not. Um, you know. So where do you put Alexis? Mm. <laughs> and so, because because the team precisely has managed to find some kind of balance and equilibrium for the second part of the season, I think Wenger is loath to change that. He's found a system which is uh, defensively actually far more solid than it's been for a while. Yeah. Um, also, a system which uh, brought a number of victories, some of them very impressive victories indeed, like the one in Manchester City. So why would you change that? And it's a bit of a problem uh, to to make a this all fit in, particularly Jack. I mean, who is a? Uh, I have, I still, I'm still unsure of what uh, Wilshire's best position is. I, I still don't know. Yeah. Um, is There's a the, couple of players like that in the squad, aren't there? I mean, Alex yeah. Oxley Chamberlain is one of them. I, I've put him myself. I would put him on the right. I mean, I've, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he can do a job anywhere, but he, he offers so much uh, in terms of, uh, and also he offers so much protection to to his right back. Um, you know, who is? Um, I mean, Bellerin is. I, I love him, one of the revelations of the season, but it's still it's a bit of an experience, and sometimes he's been um, let down by lack of cover, and the Ox provides this kind of cover. Yeah. Also, he's capable of doing it, yeah. Far uh, more than Theo. Yeah. All right, well, look, that's um, obviously something that Arsene Wenger's got to figure out, and uh, uh, not just this season, but obviously going forward, because Ramsey and Wilshire are, are two players of a, of a, of a vintage that, that suggests they're going to be in the first team for a long time to come, so he's got yeah. to figure out a way of making them fit in. Now, we're not going to speak before the cup final, so a couple of quick questions before we go. Um, the keeper issue is going to be one that is going to be uh, up for discussion over the next over the next 10 days or so, yeah. the next week. Um, David Ospina established as the number one goalkeeper now, unquestionably. Yep. Does he play in the final? Should he play in the final? Right. Uh, should, we, should we make a bet? I think he won't play. Do you think he won't? I think he won't. Uh, I think that it will be uh, Wojciech Chesney and it will be his last game for... Uh, for Arsenal, <laughs> uh, no, who played? Who played? Who played against Hull? Well, you know. yeah, no, I get, I get that, I get that. But the, I, the difference, I, I suppose, for me was that throughout the uh, the FA Cup campaign last season, Fabianski was the goalkeeper the whole way through, yeah. and and uh, Chesney was the clearly established number one goalkeeper in the first team in the Champions League. Yes, and uh, it was but, the first chance to win the trophy since two thousand and five. And what did Van Gogh? He didn't go with his number one. Yeah. Which I think says an awful lot about Wenger. And well, what exactly so- does it say? Because I can't quite figure it, it out. He's given his word, uh, which is 
possible. Uh, saying to Chesney, you're going to play um, those cup games. He's going to keep his word. He's not going to change his mind. Well, why, would he, why would he give Chesney his word on that? Because Chesney only lost his place in the first team. Yeah, he was because, the was, house, yes, because he was right. an idiot. His bad <laughs> <Yeah>. behaviour. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. It's not as if he owes him. No, I don't think so. But I think I, I, I'm, I, when I'm saying that, I'm saying that having talked to a couple of people who think that they that it's going to be Chesney, and I think a better place than me to talk about this thing. Sure, sure. Um, and no, um, I'll, I'll... which I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. I I still think it's not necessarily the right decision <laughs> from a purely footballing point of view. Um, I'm not too sure Spina would be too thrilled about it either, having proved that he was, you know, um, he'd been a model number two and has done a really superb job since his, uh, since he's been elevated to the position of number one. Mm. Um, but I think he should, I think Spina should play, but I wouldn't be surprised at all and if it were Wojciech Chesney. And as it was Lukas Fabianski's last game for Arsenal, and it will be Wojciech Chesney's last game for Arsenal too in the FA Cup final. Imagine, I mean, the, what I odds would you get on that? If you said that you're going to play with a Polish goalkeeper in two cup finals, <laughs> and for both of them it would be their last game, it's um, it's, it's rather splendid, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I don't know if splendid is is the word to use. It's very Arsenal. <laughs> it's exactly, it's very Wenger. Right then, okay. Well, we'll see what happens, and we'll talk about that um, on other podcasts before the cup final. But very, very finally, I just want to ask you um, your view of the season as a whole. Three, four weeks ago. Maybe even two weeks ago, people would have said, "Yes, you can see that the you know genuine progress has been made. We're we're yeah. a better side." And of course, we know it doesn't take much for people to lurch from from everything's awesome to everything is terrible. And yeah. you know, uh, never the twain shall meet. But somewhere in the middle is is the truth of it all. What is your feeling on this team, how it's performed, and what it does um, ahead of next season? Um, has has enough have enough building blocks been laid for us to be confident that things can get better next season? I think um, it's it's a strange season on which you will only be able to give a verdict on the evening of the thirtieth of May. And by saying that, I think you've defined it. Um, if uh, that day Arsenal, uh, you know, lift the trophy at Wembley, you'd say qualification, third place in the league. After a superb run of results, uh, Alexis being a, a sensation on his first season uh, in, in England, another trophy for you know two years in a row. You'll say that's a B plus season. It's mm. not quite A because there's not the big title or, or the fact of having actually competed for the title. Yeah. Um, so you would say that. If on the other hand, Christian Benteke scores a hat trick and um, and there's a parade and and spaghetti junction. Um, people are going to say, "What a terrible season!" Yeah, well, we're left with nothing. We, we've qualified for the Champions League again. You know, people get very bored with that. They shouldn't. Mm. But um, uh, you know, and it, th- that's what I'm sa- that's what I'm saying is that it will all depend on one game, and it's very different from last year when honestly that final against Hull was a bit make or break. As in, is Wenger going to stay or not? Uh, is this team completely past it? Are we are we comp- are we rubbish or not? No, we know the team has improved a great deal. Mm. Uh, it's paid. The, um, unfortunately, it's missed out on two things: a a decent start to the season with only two wins out of eight games, which was basically by the, 
beginning of October, you knew very well that there was no way, no chance yeah. of catching up with, with the leaders and completely missed out on the Champions League in terms of its performance against Monaco in, at the Emirates, which I think is going to be is one of the memories we're going to keep from this season and which is going to smart for a very, very long time. When we see what Monaco did against Juve, when we see what Juve did against Real Madrid, yeah. and you think if you see that Real Madrid and you think if you go, see that Real Madrid against a, a good Arsenal side, you think, oh, we fancy our chances. And you know, so frustrating. So mm-hmm. a season, a season of, of progress, stabilization, and frustration at mm-hmm. the same time. Very, very Arsenal. This said, I genuinely think that we are two or three players short of a, of a squad that can genuinely compete for the title and be a top European side. What would Just, the, where would those, I'm not asking who those players are. No, but where, where would those players be? A goalkeeper, mm-hmm. uh, without a doubt. A central defensive midfielder. Um, and and uh, a striker. Okay. Who, who doesn't? It needn't be a world class striker. <laughs> this this beast that I don't know anything about. But um, yeah, a good striker and to to um, to offload uh, some of the, the work uh, that that is put on on Giroud's shoulders. I mean, I think a little bit unfairly. He's got mm. far too much to do. What what would be your thoughts? Sorry for keeping this going, uh, but just occurs to me. What would be your thoughts on Petr Cech? Oh yes, immediately. Yeah. I, the, the only reason why I hesitated is that I think it's such an obvious choice. Um, he's, he's still young for for a keeper. He's probably, I would say, perhaps the best professional I've I've seen in the game in terms of his attitude to his to his job. Uh, he's a magnificent uh, man in, in in the dressing room. He's a born winner. Um, is is a very charismatic man, very intelligent man, very good man too. Uh, I have I cannot speak highly enough of of Peter Cech, both as as a keeper and uh, as a footballer more generally, and as as a human being, he would be a wonderful wonderful addition to the squad. And and Arsene loves him, which is probably why Mourinho is absolutely furious at the idea of losing him to Arsenal because he would be. I mean, Pacek is like Loris or De Gea. He's somebody who just he saves you and gives you about 15 to 20 points a season by his keeping alone. He's one of those. So, yeah, absolutely. That's a lot of points. Um, <laughs> I promise you, if you, if, you looked at, uh, if you look at De Gea, if you look at Loris and you look at the number of games in which they have saved two points, or actually all three, mm. you'd be amazed. And the same was true of Petr Cech when he was, uh, you know, at Chelsea um, when he was number one, particularly in the 2011-2012 season. Mm. What about concerns people would have that the fact, the simple fact that Chelsea are willing to sell him? Well, they're, they're willing to sell him because they struck a deal with with, with uh, Cech. Uh, he's been at the, at the club for 11 years, mm-hmm. and when they decided decided to bring Thibaut Courtois back, it was fairly obvious only one of them would be uh, could be number one. Yeah. They decided to go for Courtois, which again was a logical reason, uh, or logical solution, excuse me, uh, um, because he's simply younger and potentially, even if I don't think that Courtois is, is the finished article, he has got the potential to be perhaps the best keeper on the planet. So therefore, Peter Cech was put in a number two position. On the few occasions that he could show what he could do, he was absolutely magnificent. I'm thinking of that game um, against Everton uh, in the league at Stamford Bridge, mm. where he, he put together a performance which was, I mean, absolutely, and I will use the word, world class uh, in that particular instance. So, 
and he, he can't stay. You know, he's, he's not 38, 39 years old. He's got another five, six years easily um, to, you know, at the, at the very top. And you just have got to see the clubs who are after him to understand that, uh, yes, he's got the talent. It's Manchester United, it's Paris Saint-Germain, it's Arsenal. Oh. That's not too bad, I mean, in terms of... Uh, yeah. Of, of of suitors, yeah, they they might have an idea what they're what they're doing. Yeah, well, I think then another thing you shouldn't underestimate is the fact that the Czech is um, is now in London. His family is settled in London, and he's a family man as well. All right. <laughs> well, say no more. I'm I'll say giving, no more. In the nose, a bit of a tap there, Philippe. Thank you. Um, yes. Uh, a pleasure, as always. We will catch up with you uh, next season, of course. So yes. uh, for uh, for everything you brought to us this season, thank you very much. My pleasure. You can find Philippe on Twitter at Philippe Auclair, at Philippe Auclair. So please uh, do give him a follow if you're not already. Um, and we will talk to him next season because next week there's going to be like a pre-FA Cup final arse cast. Don't know quite what I'm going to do there. Might be a kind of a round table thing, something like that. Um, last year there was, because it was so long since we've been in a final, we were able to sort of go around people and get memories of the FA Cup final. But of course, when this is the second year in a row that you're going to be in a final, doesn't quite work that way. But maybe, maybe we'll get like a round table thing and, and see, uh, see how it all goes. But something anyway ahead of, of next, uh, next weekend's FA Cup final. And then after that, we're into the summer and it's like, well, we don't do the arse cast in the summer. So we're going to take a, a little bit of a break uh, from the Arsecast regular, which will return the start of the season. Although, I could be wrong, I think there's normally one postseason Arsecast, isn't there? Again, that's kind of a roundtable, how did it all go sort of thing. Anyway, we'll figure it out. Let's not worry about it for the moment. Last week, uh, I gave you the chance to win a copy of Together, the story of Arsenal's unbeaten season. And all you had to do to enter was uh, just send an email to the competition.arsblog.com address. Uh, so I'm just going to like scroll up and down now, all the entries. I don't have the random number generator to hand. So I'm just going to scroll up and down and pick one. And the winner is Philip Kronstrom. Kronstrom. Philip Kronstrom. Well done to you, Philip Kronstrom. I don't know where you're from. Probably somewhere like Spain or Portugal, because you've got those t- little dots on your name. No, I know. it's He's Scandinavian somewhere, I'm sure. So uh, wherever you are, Philip Kronstrom, you have won yourself a copy of Together, the story of Arsenal's unbeaten season. Um, and if you want to pick one up, you still can. Uh, they're on shop.arsblog.com, shop.arsblog.com, some of the hardbacks left. And, of course, we've just launched a brand-new range of T-shirts and hoodies and Boilk mugs. It's true. Actually, that's what I should do to celebrate this. Uh, I should give away a Boilk mug. That's what I'll do. All right, on this week's show, I am going to give away a Boilk mug. And the question is... I should really think about these questions. Who are we playing at the weekend? West Brom. Uh, They're kind of boring. How do you think of a question to do with West Brom? Okay, okay. I got one. I got one. Um, Which former Invincible ended up playing for West Brom? Which former Invincible ended up playing for West Brom? Answers to competition at arsblog.com. And you can win yourself a brand new, makes your coffee more delicious than anything else, 
except if you put like a little bit of bourbon in it. Uh, boiled mug, a boiled mug. We haven't had them for ages. And if you want to buy one, you can go to the uh, go to the website arsblog.com. Uh, on the menu, the main menu, you'll see one for shop, and then just uh, hover over the one for t-shirts and mugs. And there's all kinds of t-shirts there. There's Dennis Bergkamp t-shirt, uh, Lexus t-shirt, uh, Thierry Henry t-shirt, the Arsblog logo t-shirt. We've got the leave them down and play on t-shirt, boiled mugs. I think there could even be a boiled t-shirt as well. So uh, do check it out. Go to arsblog.com, uh, click on the menu bar and shop, and you, you can figure it out. You guys know how to do it because you're all very internet savvy and friendly. So final league game of the season against West Brom on Sunday. Everything happens on Sunday, of course. And, well, I don't quite know what's going to happen in terms of the team. There isn't any team news as yet because we only played last night, and I'm recording this on Thursday night, so nothing really has come through, and we won't hear anything until the manager gives his press conference uh, on Friday morning. But I suspect there might well be some changes. I think there might be some changes all over. I think you could see Walcott start. I think you could see Gabriel start, for example. If he is going to play Wojciech Szczesny in the cup final, if then he is going to have to give him a game, isn't he? I think we can take a cue from whatever happens this weekend as to what's going to happen in the cup final. Because last year, uh, Lucas Fabianski played in our final home or final game of the season. I don't know whether it was at home or away. I can't remember. Uh, but he played in the final game. And that warmed him up for the uh, for the FA Cup final. And I think if Chesney plays on Sunday, that means he's going to pick Chesney in the final. Whew. There is a decision, but we'll have to wait and see. And uh, it's something we can discuss at length next week because that's pretty much uh, all anyone's going to be talking about really is the FA Cup final and who the hell is he going to play in goal? Will he do the mad thing and play the goalkeeper that he doesn't uh, even pick for the league anymore like he did last season? He might think that's kind of lucky. I did this last season and it worked out all right. Apart from the fact we were 2-0 down and stuff. Uh, Who knows? I don't quite understand the thinking behind it at all. Last season I would have played Chesney and this season... I don't think I would play Chesney, even though I do think Chesney's a better goalkeeper than Ospina. I do. But Ospina is the guy who's doing it week in, week out. You know, he's, he's made one or two small errors, but that's about it. And he's playing every week. And he, the manager obviously thinks he's the best goalkeeper at the moment. So that's who you should play in your in your cup final team. But look, that's all to come next week. Um, what else is going to happen on Sunday? I don't know in, t- in terms of team. If we've got Welbeck back, if we've got Oxlade-Chamberlain back, they are going to have to play some part if they want to be considered for the FA Cup final squad. Simple as that. Debushi also. Whew, he could be back. He could play. And then the manager's got a decision between him and Bellerin. Wow. That's going to be a tough one if Debushi's fit. But as it stands... I'm kind of like the Ospina thing. I, I think I'll play Bellerin. Now, even though I've just changed my mind from Monday's Arscast Extra, if you were listening, I'm not sure if Debushi is going to be quite fit enough. We'll see. Lots will be going on then on Sunday that we can draw inferences from and take suggestions from and hints about what might happen next weekend at, at Wembley. But look, we have to get this game out of the way. Uh, West Brom are, um, well, they had a good win during the week, didn't they, when they beat Chelsea 3-0 and uh, Fabregas got sent off rather hilariously for booting the ball into somebody's head. I thought that was all very, very funny, but hopefully they're completely and utterly switched off and, and won't be even trying, won't be tackling. You'd like them not to tackle because you'd hate to lose somebody to injury in the week before the final. But look, let's just get the point or the three points and maybe, you know, some goals. That would be good, some goals. 
because we haven't scored in a little while. So if we could if we could find that spark again, that would also be handy. So look, that's it. And James and I will be here on Monday with the Arscast Extra. We'll look back on the game against West Brom and on last season. By Monday, it will be last season in the Premier League. Whew, it really did fly by. So look, have yourselves a great weekend. Let's keep fingers crossed for Sunday. Talk to you on the Arscast Extra on Monday and, of course, on next week's Arscast. So until then, cheers. Bye-bye. As you can imagine, tensions were high following the flight of the earls, and authorities were concerned that there might be a wider conspiracy among the Gaelic lords of the north. This was based partly on the evidence of the Irish Lord Hoth, who'd informed the government of a major plot. In this situation of heightened security, the governor of Derry, George Paulette, overreacted to reports that O'Doherty and a number of his followers were assembling for a planned revolt and marched out with the troops. O'Doherty was, in fact, taking part in a tree-felling expedition to the Cairnmore Woods near his home, rather than assembling a rebellion on Tory Island, as they'd been led to believe. Now, we'll pick that up in the next lecture, but does anybody, before we finish, have any questions? Nobody? Okay, well, look... Oh, you, you there? You have a question? Oh, I fall for it every fucking time.